Great to be here. Let me pray. Dear Father, help us to understand prayer as we pray to you now. Help us to understand how we can pray better, more clearly, more sensibly, how we can be uh, more filled with your spirit as we pray. Help us to do that, Father, so that our relationship deepens and we become uh, closer to the Lord Jesus and be his disciples truly. In his name we pray. Amen. There are so many great things to say about prayer, and I won't say most of them. Most of the great things to be said about prayer I will not be saying today, all right? This is, this is a little like about a year ago I drilled through my thumb. It was a workplace injury uh, at my home, and it was based on foolishness of my work practice. So we'll just set that aside. But uh, there was a kind of a, um, a scraping out experience that I had to have by the doctor. You know, it was not a comfortable thing, but it was kind of necessary to check that the bone hadn't been injured. Oh, I can show you the um, scars still, if you like. I mean, those who are really into that. Um, but, you know, there's sometimes you just got to kind of get in and do some work. And you've got to clear out a bit of mess in order to build a really good foundation for healing. I can tell you more stories about healing, but that's another thing. Um, and that's a little bit what this sermon is about. This year, one of our big themes is discipleship. And prayer is such an important part of discipleship, that relationship that we have with God, the way we speak with him. And so for us to clear away some of the mess, I think will be really valuable as we build on the discipleship theme through this year. So let me um, just start by asking you this question. What are some of your life goals? Now, you'll come up with all sorts of things, of study and work and travel perhaps or personal interests that you'll pursue or relationship stuff, all those sorts of... I also want to ask a question about your discipleship goals because that's part of what we'll be doing this year. What is it we're actually doing in following Jesus? That's what a disciple is. You've got to, when you hear the word disciple, you have to think about the rabbi walking along the path, up the hill, down the hill, and a little group of disciples following after. That's the picture. Jesus going out ahead, us following along, just like they physically did in the first century. When you hear the word disciple, think about Jesus walking in front of you and you following along. That's the concept. So what are your discipleship goals? And one of them I want to suggest to you has to do with understanding prayer and being better at praying. And as soon as I say that, I have to clear away a whole lot of muck. Because as soon as you hear that, many of you will go into some really dysfunctional ways of thinking about what I just said. That's the point here. How is it we can work out what we ought to pray? That's what I want to focus on. How can we work out what to pray in all the situations of life? Because that is one of the, the marks of maturity. I don't know if you've thought of it like that before. But what's a mature person like? Well, it's actually somebody who knows what to pray in a whole lot of different circumstances. Prayer about themselves, prayer about their friends, prayer about the world, prayer about Thornton, prayer about stuff that happens, prayer about all the elements of life. If you can work out what to pray, that shows that you've really come a long way in your love and devotion and understanding of God. Now, to get to that goal, to be so God-focused in our prayers, which is really what we're trying to do, to be God-focused in our prayers and not to sort of say stuff or the stuff that we want or the stuff that first occurs to us or the stuff that the other person has said, this is what I want. How do we get God-focused? We've got to clear away some of the blockages to that. And uh, I want to think about three things. The first thing to say about prayer is that it's not all about quantity. It's very easy to think it is. 
There's very many sermons that people give illustrations, and I'm about to give one, that I'm just amazed at the prayerfulness of some people. And then we're sitting back. Many of us will sit in the, queue, in the pews. Some of us will go, oh, that's an inspiration. I'll pray more. But most of us will sit back and go, ah, oh, it's just not me. Ah, uh, it's not going to happen. And I must be a lousy disciple. That's not a good outcome. So let me give you an example. I was in Egypt. Uh, I travel a lot with my work, uh, ministry, and I went to a Coptic monastery. And it was a fascinating place. You know, there's a very hyper-orthodox, like uh, Catholicism plus plus is the Coptic church. Lots of ritual. And they have a lot of monasteries. (coughs) They're sort of retreat centers for lay people to go and learn and stuff. But primarily they're a place, (coughs) in this instance, uh, and and many of them in Egypt, uh, where there'll be 50 or 100 uh, men who will be living in community and spending a lot of their time in prayer. So we, we were doing a little tour, and I was with a couple of other people, and the, um, uh, one of the brothers in the monastery was showing us around. He's very articulate, good in English, and was able to explain uh, a whole lot of things about the monastery and its history and how they'd been attacked in four or 500 years ago by the Muslims that attacked them, and they ran up into this tower. It was all very fascinating stuff. <laughs> anyway, so we're going through this thing. At the end, towards the end, he's, any questions, he says. So I said to him, what's the thing you like most about monastery life? He thought about it just for a short time and he said, the hours of private prayer. I'm going, oh, I wasn't sort of expecting that. And see, when you hear that example, you go, oh, could I spend hours and hours? This guy had been out for years. Could I spend hours and hours? Is that me? And it's very easy for us to sort of hear an example and go, gosh, is that the standard for real prayer, for real discipleship. I want to suggest to you not. might have been for him. Oh, thanks, Danny. I might need that. It uh, might have been the, the, the thing for him in his discipleship and perhaps for a small number of people. But we've got to get in our head that quantity is not the key guide for spirituality, for being a good disciple. I don't want to discourage you from lots of prayer. Some of you might be really into lots of prayer. Great. Uh, That is a good thing. But quantity is not the issue. There's this um, uh, little tactic, I think, that Satan uses to deceive us, to suggest that it always is. And if we're not spending hours and hours and hours in prayer, then somehow there's a big problem. There's this amazing little verse in uh, Matthew 6 where Jesus is talking about prayer. And he says a whole range of things. But one of the things he says is don't babble. Pagans think that by all their many words, they'll be heard. It sounds a note, you see, that there is something different about the Christian in prayer from those who don't know our Heavenly Father. There's something about the relationship, and this is a little theme I'm going to run through today. There's something about the relationship that suggests that the way we pray is not about quantity. It's about who we're praying to and the relationship we've got there. So that's the first bit of clearing out that we need to do. Uh, To understand how a disciple prays, it's not about quantity. The second thing, it's not all about technique. Special words, a special structure of the the sentence or putting the words together or the ideas, the way it's got to be done. Now, the church has often wandered into the era of technique, uh, ancient times and modern times. There's all sorts of examples you can look at where the church has gone, you know, this is what will ensure we get the answer to our prayers. This is the way we, unless you do it this way, you're not really releasing the power of God. The problem with that 
is God has been turned into a force rather than being a person. The whole way he wants to relate to us is as a person, albeit a mighty spiritual person, a, a person who doesn't have a body here on earth, a person who is our creator and requires us to relate to him like that. But he wants a personal relationship with us. And technique reduces who he is and turns us into the driver of what success will look like. Jesus, in the next verse in Matthew 6, says, your father gets who you are. He knows who you are. Your father knows who you are. And he'll give it to you. Even before you ask, he knows what you need. There's something about the relationship, you see, that will define the way a disciple will pray. It is not about technique. It's about being a child with a father. The um, next thing that Jesus does is he goes on and says, clearing away the mess, he then shows what we ought to do to pray. And I'm going to suggest in a moment that we actually say the next thing. It's the Lord's Prayer. The The prayer the Lord taught us. Jesus taught his disciples. And here it is. And what is so amazing about this prayer is it is so profound. You know, it can be read in, what, 30 seconds, less than a minute. But when you, you, you know, there's sermons and books been written on verse after verse here, phrase after phrase. It is so profound. And that is a wonderful gift to us. The words are just slightly different, perhaps, from the, the phraseology because it's out of the NIV, you know, different translations. But just have a little skim through, you know it. And we're going to say it. And it doesn't finish in, in the Bible with the, uh, the usual little phrase that was added on many, many centuries later. And so we're just going to come to the deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Because that's what Jesus said. This then is how you should pray. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. It's not all about quantity. It's not all about technique. And it's not all about us. Even as it's our prayers, it's not all about us. One of the things that I... um, I discovered a few decades ago reading the Bible was John 17. Now, I've read it many times, but I had to preach on the topic. And it just occurred to me that in that passage, I realized I had been prayed for by Jesus in his ministry. This, this prayer is often called the high priestly prayer. It's like, it's like what, what the great high priest, Jesus himself, has said to the Father on our behalf. And uh, hence the, the name has been uh, added to that. He takes all our needs, the really important stuff, the stuff of the centuries he brings before God. That's what this prayer is for. I don't know if you think of it that idea. You've been prayed for by Jesus himself. You're a prayed for person. You're you're a prayed for church. I feel so good about that. That kind of shivers down the spine and, oh my goodness, what a relief that Christ has prayed for me. Christ has prayed for us. I'm part of a prayed-for church. I'm a prayed-for person. 
And what Jesus does, and we had it read out uh, earlier, is he just picks such massive concepts, such big ideas that apply to us and make such a difference in who we are as God's people. He ranges across the church for the centuries and says what's important to God at that time. This is the night before he dies. You know the stuff before you die and you know you're going to die? You say important stuff. This is the most important stuff for, for the centuries. Such an interesting idea that on earth he pray for us. There are phrases in the book of Hebrews where it talks about he ever lives to intercede for us. I don't think that's the same thing. I don't think Jesus is standing there praying for us. What, what's actually happened, you see, is the heart of God has been revealed in Christ. And as Christ prays to the Father, we're understanding the very depth of what God wants for us. Jesus' intercession now is about the ongoing application of his death. The, the fact that he has saved us, redeemed us, justified us. He's, he's not standing there, oh, Father, you know, that one needs that. No, no, no. What we've already been seen is the heart of God. God's father heart for us is so positive. He doesn't need requests put to him in that way. So these are three blockages, I think, that, um, that just get it, help us get it wrong. And we need to push those blockages away so that we can get it right. It is not about quantity. It is not about technique. And it's not all about us. It's ultimately, it's about God and about us coming to him in relationship. Let me uh, just show you a couple of texts and then I want to draw our main theme. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through, guys. I'm three points, the blockages, I'll get rid of them. Let's, uh, let's have a little look. What I'd like you to do is grab a Bible and uh, look on a couple of you together at that passage, John 17. And uh, just, just skim read it together and notice the sorts of things Jesus prays. What things does he pray for? There's lots of other things in there, so don't get caught up on every point. We, we'd be here all day. Uh, this is such a dense, wonderful passage. But just notice uh, four or five key things that he prays for us. John 17, 6 to 21. Take a moment. And so just throw out a few of the ideas. What, are, what is it he prays for? Okay, there are lots more things there, and you might like to go have a look and, and do some more work on that. Just think how significant those things are. Just think how wonderful it is that those things have been prayed for you by Jesus. You know, if you think about the whole of your life and you kind of think, okay, towards the end and I look back at all the stuff that's happened, what are the things that are going to really matter to you? I'm guessing Jesus prayed for them. <laughs> These are the things that really matter. It, it's an example for us to get the point of, of thinking about the profound stuff of life and praying that. I want to give one more example, uh, and that's from Philippians. Uh, it's a really wonderful thing to look at the first chapter of each of Paul's letters, you know, Philippians and Corinthians, and, and every one of them, except for one, he starts with a prayer or a description of a prayer. These are the things I've been praying for you. Anyone know the one he doesn't do that? It's Galatians. He just can't, he's straight into ramming the people. You, you turkeys, you've got it wrong. Anyway, that's, that's Galatians. But all the rest, he starts with this kind of explanation of what he's been praying for. And the thing, yeah, turkeys is my you know, rough translation. Um, the thing to notice about each of them is that they're not just random good stuff. They actually link in to what he's going to be talking about. And I've just given one example here. So let me read through. This is Philippians chapter 1. This is just a few of the verses of what he's praying. I thank my God every time I remember you. Well, that's lovely. 
Uh, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Now, they're good things to pray about anybody, anytime. But the, each of those, uh, those sentences, there's a particular concept that he's going to come back to later, which is critical to this book. One of the big problems in the book of Philippians, or the people, the church of, in Philippi, was the conflict that was going on. And he gives, in chapter 2, he gives examples of good participatory uh, cohesion in ministry. And then finally he gets around to naming there's this fight going on between, a me, uh, between two women, uh, Euodia and Syntyche. And then he goes on and he says, you've got you've to rejoice the Lord and work this stuff through. So let's now look at the next little slide. So joy is one of his themes. And rejoicing in the Lord, despite your conflict, uh, through your conflict, in the Lord is one of the things he comes back to. Uh, partnership, he's delighted in the partnership. And later he reminds these two women who are fighting that they are partners in the gospel with him. And then later he uh, he's, uh, mentions that he, what God has begun to do, he will complete. Now there are tensions which are undermining the way the church is functioning. And he names that stuff in his prayers. And what strikes me by this, and we could go on and on um, in that chapter and in the other chapters, uh, chapters one of Paul's writings, um, but what it occurs to me here is he's thought about it. He's not just kind of random nice prayers. He's actually thought through what do these people need? What will I pray? And often it's not, you know, make it easy for them. It's help them work through the hard stuff. And this is the guide that I want to give us. So as we think about discipleship and prayer, the goal, one of the major goals in discipleship we have is to know how to pray in a whole range of circumstances. To be able to work out what to pray. Now, I'm not saying it'll just come to us all the time. It actually takes some thinking. It takes some, some reading of the scriptures. It takes some uh, meditating on what God has said. But this is a key part of our discipleship. And the more we can pray for ourselves the stuff that really matters for eternity, and the more we can pray for others the stuff that matters for eternity, it's going to make an enormous difference to ourselves, to the people around us, and even to our world. So the discipleship goal is to be able to work out what to pray for in all sorts of situations of life. Now, how do we do this? Well, it's relationally based. We'll get these thoughtful words of prayer that will grow out of two key relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with the world. And as we bring our relationship with God and what we know of him into line with our relationships with the world, people, ourselves, what's happening, as we do that, then we'll start to pray prayers that have eternity in mind and not just the quick fix now, not just the immediate now. Now, that's why this is a discipleship goal. This is not easy to do. And there are different personalities who will connect with this concept in different ways. But this is the key idea. Understand yourself, understand God, understand yourself, understand the world. And that will lead to thoughtful prayer. And this is how you'll make an incredible contribution in prayer to people's lives, to yourself, to the world. Now, different personalities, as I said, will we'll think about it differently. Introverts, you're probably going to go and journal. You know, you're going to go, that's, I, don't ever ask me to journal. Journal makes no sense to me at all. Journaling, you know, write down your thoughts. I know people who get into this, Dave. Um, they write stuff down and that helps them think. And they spend the time on the thing. 
Other people process externally. They're extroverts and they want to talk about it. That's me. I'd much rather talk to somebody about stuff and then pray together with them. Uh, just personality differences. But you see, the point is, what does the Bible say? How do, how do I think about this in eternal terms? Because it's so easy just to pray for the immediate stuff. Oh, they're sick, let's pray they get better. Well, maybe. But unless you put that through the focus of eternity, you might just be praying for the wrong stuff. It might be the right thing, but there might be other things you need to say as well. Oh, they want to get this job. We ought to pray they get that job. Well, maybe. But how will you bring God's mind to it unless you spend time thinking about this? And you, it may take a lot of conversation with others. It may take a lot of personal time to reflect. And you might start off praying these things that seem right, and you end up praying those things that seem much better. And so my encouragement to you is, this year as we start out on our discipleship theme, recognize one of your goals is to be a good at praying. Not lots of it, necessarily. Not the right technique. It's not all about you ultimately, it is about God and focusing on him and bringing his eternal perspective into the prayers. And if that takes some work, that's the job. That's discipleship. And that will transform how you live and how the people have prayers answered around them. The depth of our fellowship will deepen as we have that perspective. I want to pray for us and then we're all going to pray together. Gracious Father, help us to follow Jesus, to take his example to be people who pray knowing who you are and knowing what this world is about. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in January, we're going to just take time uh, to have some group prayer uh, th through these uh, four or five weeks of January, and so we're going to do that now. Just in uh, threes or fours, uh, here are the things um, for the prayer time. Pray about one thing from the sermon for yourself uh, if there's something's come up. Or you might want to pray the thing that I didn't say. You know, I said there's all these great things about prayer. You might want to pray about that. Uh, anything's good. Uh, pray for one person you want to come to know Christ or to know him better. That's their discipleship. And pray for one aspect of the ministry of Soma Blue Mountains in 2019. Pick, pick something that's coming up. Uh, Thornton, we want to have a men's camp. We've got stuff with the kids. We've got our missional communities. Uh, pick one thing that's coming up. Lots of... Um, leadership stuff coming up and uh, just just take uh, six or seven minutes and we'll do that in little groups just bunch up start praying thanks <laughs>